no way. Like, I can't. The problem is, is that the walk to the cafe can be conflicting. So then, like, it's like I got to call or something, and it just felt weird to not be having it with her. And plus, like, I just, like, I felt bad for losing it, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? They're here. I can't do anything about it. They're coming out. So they were gracious enough to let me take her out to meet them. So then it was like, I can't stop. I can't give the dog One day, she said to her family, I'm going to cook Christmas dinner. Now, up till this point, she had always just hired it out. They had gone to different restaurants. But this Christmas, she wanted to do something special. And so she talks to her family, I'm going to prepare Christmas dinner for the family. And so she got everything ready. She bought everything. And being a little insecure because she never made Christmas dinner before, she told she sat down with her kids that afternoon and said, okay, at dinner time, we're all going to sit down, and if this is the first time making a, a turkey, this is the first time I'm making mashed potatoes and stuffing and all the stuff that goes around that, if for some reason it doesn't taste good, I don't want you to say anything to me. What we'll do is we'll all stand up as a family together and we'll walk out the front door and we'll go to our rest, the restaurant. <laughs> and so the family, you know, that's around lunch, a little after lunchtime. And so the family's getting ready for Christmas. And mom, Helen, goes into the kitchen. She has everything ready. Uh, she brings out all the side dishes. She calls the family. They come running in. They sit in the dining room. And everybody's waiting. And Helen comes in with this beautiful... Christmas turkey bird and she brings it in and it's golden brown it's like perfectly cooked she brings it in and as she brings it in and she's setting at the table all the kids and dads start to stand up and they already have their coat and hat on <laughs> ready to go right and so she enters the room everybody stands up they all start to go towards the door and they didn't even give her food a chance, right? And so they didn't trust her ability to cook a turkey. And you can say, well, there's good reason, right? She never did that before. But at times, we're like that with God. Uh, we have problems. We go to God in prayer. We say, God, I need your help. And then we sit back 
and expect the very worst to happen in our lives. We expect the worst thing. When we just prayed and we said, God, we need your help. Guess what? We don't really trust at times, do we? And today, I want to look at the life of Mary and how she stepped out and trusted God. She trusted God. Uh, Mary went through a journey of what you call trust. You know, a lot of people, they travel at Christmas. Uh, they load up their cars, and they gather their pets and their kids and their presents, and they make a journey. And part of the Christmas story that we love so much is about a journey. Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Nazareth, their ancestral home in Bethlehem, to register for this Roman census. There's no room in the inn, so they sleep in the stable. And in the stable, this barn, the Savior of the world's born. Guess what? Mary made other journeys before that first Christmas journey. And uh, after creating a scandal in her hometown for becoming pregnant outside of marriage, her marriage to Joseph, Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, she lived outside of Jerusalem in the hills. And there she found out that Elizabeth, Mary found out that Elizabeth, who had been unable to have a child her entire life, is now pregnant. And she's going to have a baby as well. And today I want to focus on another journey that made, that Mary went through, and it was an internal journey that involved a change of heart. And it's a journey of trust that Mary went on. And to kind of get us going, warmed up a little bit, I want to show you guys a video of, it, was, it happened right after the 1988 Olympics. And I remember, so the, for some reason, the 88 Olympics stuck in my brain. I think my, I was, uh, I, first, we had, this is like VHS time, and I put in tapes, and I would tape six hours of the Olympics, and I don't know why, but we, I like taped them all, I think. And so right after the Olympics were done, there was this TV program that showed, that featured blind people doing, learning to slalom ski, like, sup, like super steep skiing. And so they were training for the slalom. And they were paired with sighted partners. And the sighted partners would be right in front, and they would yell in their own language, right, left, right, left, until they got all the way down the hill, and they followed this person down the hill. Um, and it was either complete trust or a catastrophe, right? Complete trust. And today we're talking about the issue of trust. And if there's one issue that I think the church needs to get, it's the issue of how do we trust God for our certain situations. Go ahead, play that video. It's like a minute long. that we're watching right now, they're blind.
complete trust or catastrophe, right? And I don't think there's what a clear and vivid picture of the Christian life. Think about that as you, he's going to get to the bottom of the hill here in just a second. Yeah, isn't that awesome? This is such a clear and vivid picture of if you're a Christian, you've given your life over to the Lordship of Jesus, this is what our life looks like. Reality is we're blind. Where we go, we solely rely on the one who can truly see. And you know what that takes? It takes trust. Trust. Now, Mary's journey, I want you to know as we dive into Mary's story this morning, Mary's journey is our journey. Because guess what? It's all about trust. And I don't know if you've ever been there before where you said, God, help. And yet, you haven't actually believed that God was for you, working on your behalf. His arms are stretched out towards you, calling you forward. But Mary's journey is also our journey because many of us have found in life that life has not come out as we've expected it. That we've, we've planned it. The plans that we had when we were youth don't, didn't pan out. And there are three phases that I want to look at before we read Mary's song of trust. And I, at the end of the story, Mary gets to trust fully. But let's, there's three um, points that I want to make as we're moving forward. So First one is, throw that first slide on. Uh, when Mary first encountered the angel, the Bible says that she was greatly troubled. Mary is greatly troubled. She's going to have the Messiah, the Savior. So let's start that call, that beginning place. Let's call it anxiety. Have you ever been there before? Anxiety. Well, here's why. In that culture, a woman who found herself pregnant and unmarried risked her death by stoning, and if that didn't happen, she was completely ostracized from the community. And so that's just culture 2,000 years ago. There was no grace then for her situation. All Mary wanted was a nice, normal life. She's already engaged. She's betrothed to this man that she's been set up with and she's probably in love with. Guess what? This news is going to deeply hurt not only her fiancé, but also think, which we talked about that last week, but also her parents. Imagine Mary's parents. What? They're going to be crushed, and it's going to be the scandal of the town. Now, most people are afraid of the unknown. Things that we have never seen or experienced, they're just overwhelming to us. Um, and does, are, does anybody out there that like old maps or maps in general? I'm actually, I love GPS on my phone. It helps me get around. But for some reason, I love old maps. I love maps in general. Um, and a lot of times when I'll take a trip, I, I, I use the um, Farmer's Guide Almanac to, like, plotting out where I want to go just because I like maps, okay? And did you know that really old maps, cartographers, 
They would draw the area that they knew of, and then the edges beyond where they knew and understood, they would, where they had no knowledge of what was there, they would write these words, beyond here, there be dragons. Beyond this, so this is the known world, beyond here, there be dragons. And they would draw pictures of like sea monsters and stuff off the, to the edges. Um, well, guess what? Mary's in dragon territory. Nothing about this angel's, new, angel's news fits her hopes and dreams. This angel that she's facing, she, she's scared to death of. And she was greatly troubled. Her hopes and dreams for life. Completely, I completely understand that Mary was greatly troubled in this situation. Most of us know what it's like to be greatly troubled. We've experienced something we did not want or anticipate in our life. We didn't expect it. We didn't want it. We didn't plan for it. And our first reaction is kind of similar to Mary's. Shock, anger, fear, a sense of loss, greatly troubled. In fact, there are very few people who experience life that does resemble what you wanted to experience uh, in your youth or even your young adult years. I know many of your stories, your plans didn't include financial hardship and kids with specific needs and grief and loss and depression and divorce and moving away from your family. And the list goes on and on, right? We just don't expect those things. And we are in that place of great, we're greatly troubled. Um, so I'm going to talk about my journey as a pastor a little bit this morning because it ties in. To this day, I'm so surprised that I'm a pastor, okay? I, I really am because I'm surprised I ended up as a pastor, especially given, like, the legalistic, um, dysfunctional churches that I grew up in. But when I first sensed my calling to the church, I was, like, kind of a little excited, but then also it was paired with being afraid, troubled, and angry. Because I knew pastoring, where, like, the pastors that I knew had, like, no money. They were constantly criticized. There was unreasonable expectations upon them. This burnout rate, I was told when I first mentioned this to um, a, 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 another pastor, he's like, well, you do know the burnout rate's 70% in the first 10 years, right? So 7 out of 10 are going to quit. I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. But I was greatly troubled. I was greatly troubled. So let's look again at Mary and her journey. Although she started at anxiety, she didn't stay there. So she started here. By the time we get to verse 38, Mary says this. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said to this angel. Let's call that next step acceptance. Acceptance is not joyous. There's no enthusiasm. It's simply saying, okay, God, have your way. Have your way. Uh, so obviously I said yes to pastoring. Um, I took that journey from anxiety to acceptance. And just so you know, that journey from anxiety to acceptance of my call, it took me four years of running. Running, like running hard. Like I got a whole, I got a bachelor's degree. In that season, like I was right, run, 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 run away from that. 
And so I, it was a step in the right direction for me, this idea of acceptance. But guess what? God desires more than acceptance in our lives. God's honored when we acknowledge the right direction in our lives, but acceptance isn't all that God hopes for in our life. And I was thinking about this earlier in the week. So sometimes I'm a movie guy and I like to watch movies. And so if I try to convince my wife to watch a movie, let's say Friday night, date night, and like, hey, let's, let's go watch this movie together. And she's like ambivalent or like doesn't really want to. Let's, she's not anxious about it, but she kind of, oh, she accepts it. She's like, oh, uh, I don't really want to. I can tell she's dragging her feet. Guess what? In the end, I lose the desire to go to that movie with her. Like, I do, it's almost like I love her so much that I, I don't want to do that anymore. And so I think that God doesn't want us to stay at acceptance. He wants to get us past that relationally where we actually desire. There's something that's stirred. So acceptance is a good step, but it's not the final step that God has for his people. God wants us to move past just acceptance. Now, Mary's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, God's greatest plan ever, and Mary's at acceptance. You guys hear me there? The greatest gift to the entire world, and Mary's like, may it be to me as you've said. Okay. The greatest plan that God's unfolded since creation, and Mary's saying, well, May it be to me as you have said. I don't sense from her response that her heart's really in it. Do you? So Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and there's this supernatural connection. Supernatural connection. Both of whom are miraculously pregnant. And somehow after acceptance, after months of wondering if she was out of her mind, this visit from Elizabeth somehow put everything into focus for Mary. And instead of condemnation, and instead of keeping more shame upon Mary's head, here is what Elizabeth said. Go to the next slide. On. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth says this to Mary, her relative, and all of a sudden, Mary got it. Mary got it. Mary went from anxiety to acceptance, and finally she went past acceptance, and she began to sing this song, which is Luke 1, 46. Go ahead. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he's done great things in me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. All of a sudden, Mary has a brand new perspective. It clicks. Everything has changed in Mary's heart. That long journey that began at a place called anxiety moved to acceptance and finally adoration. Adoration. 
Mary is singing praise to God for the things that had once seemed an unbearable burden. Mary's changed. Her heart has changed. And Mary went from thinking this is an unbearable tragedy to this is a burden that she could bear to a reason for joy and thanksgiving. What a journey. That's a big journey. That's a heart journey. Does that journey sound familiar to you at all? Your dreams died. God brought a new reality into your life, one that you did not anticipate nor expect. You you were not prepared for, and it breeds anxiety. (gasps) But you don't stay there. You don't want to stay there. You can't stay there. It may be worth asking how Mary got here, how she progressed, and In her words, it really comes down to one issue. It comes down to that word that we talked about in the beginning, which is trust. Mary trusted God. Trust is a huge step to take, especially if you've never trusted God before. You have to struggle emotionally. You have to deal with the feeling that God, you feel like God's taken from you instead of giving you something good. You have to deal with that. You have emotional struggle. You have to deal with the intellectual struggle that a lot of times looks like God's calling this a blessing in my life, but everybody else around me says it's a curse. What? You've got to deal with that intellectually. You have to struggle spiritually because guess what? We all want control of our lives. And it's difficult to say, God, may it be as you've said it in my life. Take whatever tiny amount of trust and give God a chance. And you will have taken a big step towards what he's doing in your life. uh, Jesus said in John 14, 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in me, Jesus said. Trust in God, trust in me. And I think that there's something so important. I think of like that Christian journey that that we're on and we can put all kinds of labels on what it should look like and what it should be in the main signposts of being a Christian but trust I want you to know is fundamental it's fundamental to connecting with God and life in God trust how do we trust how much do we trust how are we are we growing in our trust of God Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust, Jesus says, trust in me. And after acceptance, taking one more step, believing that this thing that you've accepted but never embraced might actually be part of God's bigger plan for your life. So, like I said, I struggled moving beyond. I went from anxiety to acceptance in my call. And everything... If I'm honest, everything that I feared about being a pastor has come true. (laughs) But I also understand that I've had incredible joy and an amazing life as I've pushed into my calling. And I've been on the front lines, the front seat of God breaking in and seeing amazing, awesome things that I, 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 I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I know that this is my life's calling. I've had a front seat 
uh, row watching angry, bitter people discover healing and forgiveness. I've had a front row seat watching hopeless marriages restored. I've seen countless marriages that were like, they show up in my office, they're saying, John, we want to get divorced. And I say, oh, pause. Just hold on. Are you willing to have a conversation? And I've seen the worst of the worst, like yelling in my office back and forth. And their lives today are not only their lives are whole, but their marriages are restored. That's amazing work. And I love that. I love seeing wealthy, powerful people discover more joy from giving away their money than they had making it. I love that. I love to see God's kingdom break in and people physically healed. We see that all the time. People are getting prayer and they're receiving from God's kingdom that breaks in and changes them. I love to see people restored and reconciled to each other. Groups of people that hate each other, all of a sudden, they're praying with one another, they're forgiving each other, they're extending grace towards one another. I love to see people start to believing in God and see that God wants to use them and they get equipped and they start doing ministry. They start stepping into ministry. They start doing what they've been called to do. I love that. So I have... Um, one story that kind of summarizes a lot of what we're talking about this morning. And I don't know if you've heard of Lee Strobel. Um, he wrote A Case for Christ. He wrote A Case for Christmas. And this story I found from A Case for Christ. But he was a journal for the Chicago Tribune living in Chicagoland. And he was an atheist. And he made it very clear. Like, he doesn't believe in God. Um, and so he, his uh, boss said, I want you to do a report on Christmas, and I want you to go find some destitute family and write a report and write a good article on this destitute family. So he found a family that, um, that their house had been burned down and they had nothing. And it was a grandma that was six years old named Perfecta, and um, she had two granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny. Their house burned down, and they're living in this tiny, itty-bitty apartment. They had no insurance. And so here's what Lee Strobel said. He said, as I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rug, nothing on the walls, only a small kitchen table, and one handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually devoid of possessions. 11-year-old Lydia, 13-year-old Jenny... They each had one short sleeve dress, and they had one thin gray sweater that they shared as they walked a third of a mile to school. And they would switch halfway through that trip. They would switch the sweater between the two of them, going back and forth. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're in this family that's in complete poverty. Um, Lee goes in and he starts asking them questions and here's what he said he said I can't believe they had no sense of despair or self-pity instead they had hope and peace and so he wrote up this article and it went all over Chicago 
And Lee couldn't get it out of his heart that they had peace and they had this joy and they had this trust in God. And it's like he was doing this rat race, miserable, not getting life. And so he was frustrated with his own life and he's working on Christmas Eve and he's just frustrated. He's like, I'm just going to go visit the, the Delgado family. And so he drives to their little apartment, he knocks on the door, and as he walks in, he can't believe what he sees, he feels, sees an apartment full of stuff. Full of stuff, because people read his article, figured out where this family lived, and gave them this huge Christmas tree, clothing beyond, I mean, the, all, the, all the people knew was 11 and 13, and piles of clothing, huge Christmas tree, a, a like all these envelopes of cash and um, there's new appliances, a rug, stacks of unwrapped presents, boxes and boxes of food, tons of warm winter clothing. And then it wasn't all that that surprised Lee Strobel. He was shocked about the family's response. And I want to read Lee's response in this situation. Here's what Lee said. As surprised as I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were giving away much of their newfound wealth. As I asked Perfecta why, she replied, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. That is what Jesus would want us to do. Lee continues, he said, that blew me away. If I had been in their position at that time in my life, I would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all these gifts, and again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said, gesturing towards the, the largeness of it all. We did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But then she added, it's not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. That is Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything. More than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. At that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus. Because in a sense, I saw him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity, while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope, I only looked towards myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual, while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one they knew. And if you know the end of Lee's story, Lee found Jesus. He found Jesus, and he found that same trust that Perfecta and her grandchildren lived out. Perfecta knew the words that God declared in Jeremiah 29, 11, towards Israel. God's people. And I know that this scripture gets maybe overused and uh, 
but I want you to know that this scripture is, was meant for God's people in the Old Testament. And guess what? God spoke this to perfect his heart, and so that's why I want to read it to you, even though it's overused. But God, she trusted God in the worst situation of her life. In the middle of fire, in the middle of poverty, in the middle of nothing. And God spoke this to her heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you hope in a future. You know what? When you're destitute and you have nothing, you've got to push in and say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What, what do you think of me? I don't get it. I'm that anxiety. Lord, help me move to acceptance. Lord, I'm at acceptance. Help me move to adoration. Help me get there, God. So Mary's filled with wonder that God would use her poor, young female for an eternal purpose. And if God, if I could, um, I think the Christ, if I could give you one gift, if I could just like gift, 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 and you get it instantly, I would give you the gift of trust. I would give you the gift of trust. Because it changes everything in our relationship with God. It changes all of life when you can start to trust God just a little bit. Believing that God's intention for you is not harm, but for good. When God's at work, and we trust, we acknowledge, we partner with the Spirit, we move from anxiety to acceptance to adoration. And you can sing that same song that Mary sang 2,000 years ago. You can. Your heart can get there. And some of you are saying, I can't. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in anxiety. Well, let's just see what God will do, because Christmas is meant to change you and this world this Christmas season. Practical tips. Number one. Number one, tell God that you trust him in a current situation that's causing anxiety in your life. Simply choose and say, I Trust you, God, in your heart. And repeat that until you truly trust. So maybe there's that one situation, and it causes your heart to palpitate faster, and it's, it's making your blood boil, and it's a family situation, and you're like, tell God you trust him in that situation, whatever that situation is. God, I trust you. I don't get it. It's causing my heart to go in the wrong direction, but God, I'm making a choice today to trust you. And keep telling God that. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Number two, accept what's in front of you. God will use it. Invite God's peace to wash over you like only he can. And read this verse as you accept that he is present with you. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are ways for us to say, God, we are moving towards trusting you more and more. And number three, as you begin to move into adoration, allow yourself to process the steps of trust, then peace, and then adoration. Journal your thoughts and prayers to God. Take time to reflect and see if you sense God speaking to you. Write down any thoughts, pictures, verses, or words that come to you in your quiet time. So I, what am I saying here? I'm saying journal about your journey of trust. 
Bible do. And just so you know, this is not a sermon that we all have to stuff our problems and pretend that life is good. No. Mary was at a place of extreme anxiety. And it was God working in and through her that helped her move forward. And the same is true for us. So first things first, it's important for us to let's be honest with where we're at. Either I'm anxious or I'm at acceptance or maybe some of you are adoration here. But let's be willing to be honest with ourselves and with God and say, God, here's where I'm at. I need your help. Let's all stand. We're going to sing this last song. Why don't we have a ministry team come on up. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I need to move from anxiety to acceptance. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, I need to move from acceptance to adoration. And I need to figure out this thing with thanksgiving. Or maybe you're here and you need to just say, God, I trust you. I just trust you in this situation. I need more.